Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Aranax Show, a podcast with updates, news and insights for those with an interest in shipping, oceans, marine and maritime. I'm Craig Eason, the host and managing editor of the Fathom World website. This particular show is all about greenwashing and in particular a drive coming out of Norway to get companies, all companies, to be more honest about the environmental impact of their products and services. Norwegians have been working hard in the last decades to reshape what the rest of the world thinks of them. This for many decades was an oil and gas powerhouse able to gain a significant position thanks to the reserves it has found and continues to extract from under the North Sea and Arctic Ocean. Now, however, the country as a whole is moving itself towards a more sustainable path. Industrial companies are more likely to be seen investing in offshore renewable energies, sustainable aquaculture and other potentially more sustainable industries. The country's Prime Minister, Erna Solberg, has also been a big figure in international circles getting other countries to focus on cleaner seas, such as through the high-level panel for a sustainable ocean economy. The country also funds some of the IMO efforts to work out a roadmap to decarbonise shipping, for example, as we heard from Josie Mataikal of the IMO in a recent interview on this podcast. But there is an issue that Norway thinks its businesses, and in fact any business, needs to be aware of. Greenwashing, or the desire to use green or sustainable credentials where really they shouldn't be used. Deliberate, or in some cases unintentionally misleading, choices of words and phrases as one talks about the importance of change without actually doing anything about it. A practice that some say creates apathy for change and even mistrust. Now, one of my favourite examples in the shipping industry is the desire by shipbuilders and ship owners to call their new buildings eco ships or super eco ships when they want the media, charterers, and others to think the tonnage is close to perfect when it's, well, anything but. So, greenwashing is not a Norwegian issue, but there is one organisation in Norway that has now got a few hundred companies in the country to sign a pledge to adhere to 10 key principles of greenwashing. The company is SHIFT, it's spelt with an SK instead of an SH at the beginning, and it's a membership organisation of Norwegian industry leaders. Its goal is to attract the most climate ambitious businesses in the country so that it can demonstrate that businesses can reduce emissions and move towards a low carbon economy with innovation rather than with too much regulation. The 10 principles it's asking corporates to sign up to encourage them to ensure that they take more care with their choice of words and also do not cherry-pick the UN Sustainable Development Goals they wish to publicly support when they may be doing very little, if anything, internally to change. Shift now wants to make these principles more international and thinks that some of the work in Europe, such as recent European Sustainability Taxonomy, will be a great help in what they hope to encourage businesses to do voluntarily. I spoke with Shift CEO Bjorn Haugland about the campaign 
its objectives, particularly as it seeks to gain international momentum, and how he sees it applying to the ocean and shipping businesses, as well as how he can make sure a signing up to a code against greenwashing is itself not greenwashing. But I started by asking him just how bad greenwashing currently is and how companies are being both encouraged and forced to choose their words carefully. It, it's kind of plenty of, of examples and, and uh, we also have regulatory bodies which look after this. So, so for instance, I, I saw a case from UK where uh, actually Norway have promoted uh, natural gas somewhat as a, as a green solution and uh, basically ended up to, to get a, a pine uh, on, on that kind of wording. I don't think that ocean industries are those who are most exposed to this. I think those who are doing the kind of business to customers uh, direct relation is more uh, kind of exposed to greenwashing than how to say a business to business uh, kind of logics. So. So would it be right for a shipyard, for example, to call a, a vessel that it's building an eco-ship or a super eco-ship? Are they the right sort of phrases within the shipping industry? Uh, I think they should be care- very, very careful uh, because uh, even though shipping industry is the most environmentally friendly way of transporting goods, it still totally emits about more than uh, 900 million ton CO2, which is on the level of Germany. So, so it's, it's still a big pollu- polluter. And, uh, and the goal for the whole world, for Europe, and for more and more uh, countries is, is net zero. So that means that you are, you are actually not building an eco uh, ship, even though maybe the ship is 5% more efficient than, than your previous kind of series of ships. So, so I, I think you should be very careful to use that kind of labeling on very, very small incremental improvements. And what's the goal for these principles? Are there the 10 principles uh, that you are asking companies to sign up to? What do you hope to achieve by having corporations, company businesses sign up to these greenwashing principles? So my main goal is really to give sustainability a real content. And, and then I would like that we avoid using it too much. We use it when it deserves to be used. And in order to do so, the whole motivation behind this kind of campaign of, uh, of putting out these principles is, is first and foremost to give companies a guide. So we call it a guide towards greenwashing. So it's, it's actually a tool for them to bring into their management meetings, to look at, to translate to their own operations, and maybe to set their own goals for how they would, would like to, to go forward. And, and this guide is formed in collaboration with many companies, and it is gray zones. So it's not kind of clean cut, uh, but, but somehow to build this awareness and understanding for how to navigate in the gray zone is basically my first objective. The second objective is, of course, to when, when companies sign up to this, you have the power of transparency. Their investors, their customers, their stakeholders, 
are aware that they are doing this and will kind of hold them accountable for not misusing this going forward. So, so I think to put, you know, both on the one hand, put, uh, create a guide, on the second hand, somehow use the power of transparency to hold them accountable. In combination is what we would like to, to achieve to, to get better communication going forward. But how do you see that actually happening in, in practice? Because you're getting companies to sign up for that. You are encouraging them to be more progressive so that they, you know, ad- adhere to the principles and work towards improving themselves. And it's more than just a marketing exercise. However, how do you know that they're not using this campaign itself, these principles, as their own form of greenwashing? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a risk. And, and that's, uh, so, so what we are doing is, of course, that we communicate a lot around this. So make sure that that this is not kind of sitting on a, on a hidden web page, but, but really, you know, put the light on those companies. Um, so that's number one. Number two is, again, in shift, we work with businesses to improve them. We are not an NGO who, who kind of would like to, fight the businesses. We really would like to get, you know, business flourish. And, um, and in that sense, uh, every second month, month, we bring together everybody who have signed these principles. And um, we ask a few companies each time to, you know, put, uh, to share their experiences. How have they used them? What is the learning? What are the dilemmas? And by, by doing so, um, you know, our third objective to kind of build best practices, uh, make the companies able to learn together uh, is, is, is very much of these kind of digital, the, the whole community we build around. I know we are soon 250 companies in Norway, but also globally across sectors. And, and that is a very powerful learning community. You see this as being something that can be expanded further. You've you launched in, in Norway. There's largely Norwegian companies, but you have a large, um, you you have an agenda to make this certainly more international, so that you can encourage more and more companies to identify when they are actually greenwashing, and use their selected words a little bit more carefully, so that they make the right announcements about what progress they're making towards sustainability. So, so this is a global agenda, and. Um... And we started in Norway because that is kind of where we, we have our, our roots and, and, uh, and we got a lot of attention on, on this. Uh, and, uh, and then a couple of weeks ago, we, we have started to, to talk about this uh, outside Norway. And we got uh, Pascal Campin, who is responsible in EU for their, the EU Parliament for their uh, environmental policies, together with Paul Polman the former uh, CEO of Unilever, to somehow spearhead that, that global activities. So, so we see now uh, uh, increasing, how to say, signatures from companies outside in Norway, which is good. And frankly, I expect after you have uh, launched this uh, podcast uh, episode that uh, we will get more attention also from some of your uh, the people listening in here. I want to link what you're trying to achieve with the EU taxonomy as well, because um, I'm aware that there are certain financial institutions that are acutely aware of how they define 
their financial instruments that they've got available and how they can call them green um, or climate bonds, for example. How do you see what you're achieving here in, in getting corporates to be more aware of their own greenwashing, even if they're not necessarily initially aware of it? How do you see that linking to this EU taxonomy and even things like bringing shipping into the ETS and the requirements to have more visibility in shipping because there is a piece of legislation I believe being worked on that came out of the European Parliament to have labelling for goods that are being brought in by ships. Um, And then there's the issue of the EU carbon border tax um, however, it's going to be in, going to be caught. Um, how do you see what you're doing here with greenwashing and raising transparency with that work on the European level? Well, I really think it is, uh, uh, you know, everybody who kind of engages in this community now, uh, it's, it's a way of preparing for what is coming. As you said, the, the taxonomy, which is a lot debated now in, in Norway, uh, because, for instance, like... Uh, uh, you know, we, we put a lot of focus on floating offshore wind, but according to the to the taxonomy, floating offshore wind used to power the oil production will not be considered as, as green in the taxonomy. So we have several examples where activities which initially has been promoted very much as green solutions in the Norwegian community by EU is uh, is handled much more clean cut and said this is green, this is not green. So. So, so by, by working with these principles for greenwashing, you start to get a bear of these, uh, these cases. As you mentioned also, you know, shipping is part of a long uh, supply chain, of course. And, um, and you will see cargo owners and regulators setting more and more requirements to that supply chain, which shipping is eventually a part of. That means that the shipping industry will need to have much more control of their emissions. They need to be much more transparent for the emission. And it will be a competitive advantage, I think, towards the cargo owners to be as transparent and, of course, as efficient as possible. And the EU border tax is just another example of the same thing. Uh, you can have two of the same vendors from China exporting their similar goods to, to the EU. So the tax will not be the same for these two vendors. It will be fully depending on how they are able to to document their their footprint and how much CO2 the two pieces of goods are carrying into the the EU area. So it's all come back to you need to have much more transparency on what your product or services or the supply chain you are part of. I've seen a lot of um, organizations, I've seen a lot of lobby groups try and take control of certain words. What I, what I mean is when it comes to lobbying both within Europe and at the International Maritime Organization, they, they are seeking to define certain words under their own particular agenda. Um, what I mean is you'll find two organizations poles apart in what they're attempting to achieve on behalf of their members, but they will say that they thoroughly support what's going on at Europe or what's going on at the IMO, but they will try then and define the moves in their contexts. Do you think there's a need to have greenwashing principles within the lobby group uh, community as much as, again, uh, towards retailing community? Definitely, definitely. 
I would almost say even more into these lobby groups uh, because, as you said, they, uh, I mean, they are there for a purpose and, and the purpose is to somehow position whoever they are lobbying for. And I think that uh, coming back to the EU taxon is a very forceful uh, way from the regulators to uh, enable that to happen. And uh, even today, we see lobby groups obviously kind of lobbying towards uh, the taxonomy. But so far, I see... Uh, uh, very strong leadership uh, from the regulators in the EU on this agenda. The UN sustainability goals are very ambitious and there's a lot of concern about uh, society's overall abilities to actually achieve those. But they are a, a goal that a lot of people feel that we have to work towards in society and within industry, whether it be the shipping industry, offshore sectors, any sectors. Through your greenwashing principles, you've identified that there are very few companies, if any, that are actually sustainable, for example. How do you see that journey that companies have to make? Do you think that they will actually be able to achieve sustainability or do you think it's going to be a long, tough journey? I definitely think the journey towards sustainability is a long, tough journey. Uh, we need to do a lot of change. Uh, what is ahead of us is a zero emission society. We, we need to get rid of all our emissions in order to be net zero by 30 years from now. And I would say that the shipping industry holds a lot of opportunities uh, because it is such an environmentally friendly business today. But the need of zero emission solutions uh, will make the industry even more competitive tomorrow. It will be able to move goods from, from transporting on land to sea. The shipping industry will be enabler to facilitate transportation in big uh, cities or highly populated uh, areas. So I would kind of encourage everybody to look at sustainability, not, not at a risk, but as an opportunity. And uh, that goes from all industries, but I would say uh, the, the, the maritime industry and shipping industry in particular. So my call to action today is really to let everybody engage into the agenda. The first step is to get full control over, over your own emissions, set clear goals, and then work very hard and step by step in order to reduce your uh, company's emissions and the whole supply chain you are part of. Bjorn Haugland from the industry group Shift on the benefits of not greenwashing your business credentials and the benefits of encouraging more than corporations but anyone in industry to be aware of how they use certain words. Well now it's time to hear from Nick Chubb from Thetius for our regular technology roundup. Thanks Craig. It's been a busy week for Sedna Systems the email collaboration platform that allows team members across the shipping and commodities industries to work together more effectively has announced a partnership with Maritime Software as a Service Provider, Q88. The aim of the partnership is to make it easier for users to pass information from their email inboxes through to Q88 software, it reduces administration, reduces mistakes and costs as well. As well as announcing partnerships with major industry software providers, Sedna announced that they have closed a $10 million Series A funding round to help them scale up their solution. The round was co-led by Harry Stebbings, host of the popular 20-Minute VC podcast. 
In autonomy news, Ocean Infinity has commissioned VARD to design and construct eight marine robotics vessels. Each ship will be 78 meters long, capable of operating as an unmanned vessel, and they'll be the first of their kind to be fitted with the capability to run on green ammonia as a fuel. Over in Singapore, a 14-partner joint industry program kicked off this week to advance the use of 3D printing in spare part manufacturing for passing ships. Led by US 3D printing startup Ivaldi Group, the program will involve using 3D printers to manufacture spare parts that have been approved by the classification society DNVGL. Lastly this week, KNL Networks has been acquired by Norwegian telecoms company Telenor. The Finnish SME has developed a high-frequency mesh network that makes it possible for vessels anywhere in the world to connect to the cloud without the use of satellites. The partnership with Telenor will definitely be one to watch. That's Nick Chubb from Thetius rounding off this Aronet show. Remember to subscribe to the podcast like hundreds of people are now doing. Thank you to those that are. And please spread the word about this podcast. And of course, you can read more by subscribing to the Fathom World newsletter. It's also free. So that's it for now. Goodbye.